You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we celebrate the event that set Christianity into motion. Come on, the glue that holds our faith together, the catalyst for the movement that would change the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today is not just a nice holiday that we celebrate. It's not just an excuse to dye some Easter eggs or give your kids an Easter basket or sit down and enjoy a meal and eat some ham or whatever you're going to do today. All those things are wonderful. But make no mistake, if you take away the resurrection, Christianity falls apart. Come on, how many of you know sometimes there's that one ingredient, that one essential element that if you take that away, everything falls apart? Let me give you some examples. How many of you have ever had gluten-free pizza before? (laughs) If you've never had gluten-free pizza, you didn't miss anything. Take away the dough and it's just not the same. When it comes to sports, take away that star player and often the team is not the same. I don't care what anybody says. The New England Patriots are not the same without Tom Brady. And some of you are really happy about that. (laughs) Some of you aren't. When it comes to my family, uh, we have three boys. My wife is the glue that holds our family together. And often when she's working late or she, yeah, when she has a, a meeting or she's working late, you know, daddy's trying to hold down the fort. And often my middle son, Michael, will come to me and say, hey, dad, what are we having for dinner tonight? And he's not asking with a vote of confidence. It's kind of like, are we going to get fed tonight or are we going to starve, right? Because when mama's gone, everything falls apart. She's the glue that holds everything together. Come on, today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you take away the resurrection, Christianity falls apart. It's just not the same. In fact, I want to show you a passage of Scripture where this very thing was happening to a group of Christians known as the Corinthians. These were some Christians who were living in the ancient city of Corinth, and they were preaching a resurrectionless Christianity, a resurrectionless gospel. Not that they had ceased to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but many of them were questioning and abandoning the bodily resurrections of Christians, of believers in the future when Christ returns. You see, for 2,000 years, the church has held on to this hope, has believed and professed the hope of the resurrection. Not only the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the hope that one day our bodies aren't going to stay in the grave, that death doesn't have the final word. This is the blessed hope of the church. Come on, some of you have been working really hard to get your body ready for a bathing suit so you can be ready for that beach vacation this summer. One day you're going to have a resurrected, glorified body. You can eat whatever you want and you're not going to gain weight. Come on, somebody ought to get excited today and say amen to that. (laughs) But here's the big question, and this is the, the very question that Corinthians were asking. What difference does the resurrection make? I want you to think about that today. What what difference does the resurrection make? Some of you might say, well, I I believe in the resurrection, Pastor Jeremy. I'm a Christian. But if I stop and think about it, I'm I'm not really sure what difference it it, it makes. Like if Jesus forgave me of my sins on the cross, why did he have to rise again? Why did he have to resurrect? And and, and why does it matter that my my body's going to be resurrected one day? That's a good question. Some of you might say, well, I know Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's what Easter is all about. I mean, I came here today because somebody invited me or shared this broadcast with me. And, but I'm not sure that I really believe that that's something that historically happened. I mean, maybe that's a nice symbol. But what difference would that make in my life if, if the resurrection, you know, is true? Well, these are the very questions 
that the Corinthians were asking. And Paul, he tackles these questions head on. And so we're going to look at what he has to say about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, the first question that Paul tackles is this. Did the resurrection actually happen? Did the resurrection actually happen? Like, is this a historical event or was this just something symbolic? Was this just something spiritual? Is this just something that Christians believe that had a symbolic meaning? Well, let's look at Paul's answer together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 9. Here's what Paul wrote. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. In other words, Paul said the very first Christians passed this on to me, and I'm passing it on to you. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. Verse 5, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12, the original 12 apostles. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his own followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Look at verse 7. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. We're going to talk about what all that means in just a moment. But first, Paul starts with the historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection. This is important. Why? Because if you're a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in him, you need to know that your faith is based on something rock solid. Come on, your faith is based on something more than just what you feel, something more than just what someone told you. You need to know that your faith is based on something rock solid. And if you're here today and you're not sure what you believe, well, if the resurrection of Jesus is historically reliable, if there's even a shred of evidence here that's convincing to you, then that's something you really have to consider. If a man who claimed to be the Son of God rose from the dead then that would really change everything, and you have to consider that. And so I want to give you three things today that Paul tells us about the historical evidence for the resurrection. Three, three examples of evidence that really make a difference for us. Here's the first one. Are you ready? Number one, the resurrection of Jesus was something Christians believed from the beginning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was something that Christians believed from the very beginning. Now, you can read about the resurrection of Jesus' life in all four accounts of the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But 1 Corinthians 15, the passage that we're looking at today, is actually the earliest written account that we have of Jesus' resurrection because Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians about 20 years before the Gospel writers wrote down their accounts of Jesus' life. And Scholars tell us that the verses we just read were a very early creed that Paul passed on to the Corinthians and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to you and me today. In other words, very early on, there was already a creed that the very first Christians uh, believed and wrote down and preserved this truth that Jesus died, that he lived, he died, he was buried, and he resurrected. Okay, so you say, Pastor Jeremy, why is that important. Well, Paul clearly demonstrates that the earliest Christians absolutely believed that Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. This wasn't something that was added on to later on. This wasn't something that was added to the Christian faith generations later. In fact, Oxford historian A.N. Sherwin-White once said it took more than two generations for a legend to develop in the ancient world that could replace truth. 
Well, guess what? There wasn't even time for two generations to pass before the earliest Christians believed this. Uh, here, what we see is that the very first Christians already believed and claimed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. In fact, some scholars tell us that this very early Christian creed that we just read was actually formulated and written down within months of the resurrection. This is one of the most reliable things that we have in all of antiquity. It wasn't like Jesus' disciples got together, you know, after his death, and they collected his teachings, and they thought, man, wasn't Jesus a great teacher? Wasn't he a great moral philosopher? Why don't we start a new religion? Why don't we get together and start a new world religion? Oh, no, quite the opposite. When you read the gospel accounts of the resurrection, Jesus' disciples do not come across looking really good. Like if you were trying to put something together that would make yourself look really good and look really convincing, the very people who gave their lives for this belief in the resurrection, they did not come across looking very good in the gospels. In fact, they looked scared. They, They were scattered. They were confused. They looked skeptical about the resurrection. If today you might say, well, I'm a little bit skeptical about like whether, you know, the resurrection was a historical event. Well, guess what? You find yourself in the very same company of Jesus' disciples who were skeptical. In fact, there's an apostle named Doubting Thomas. Maybe you've heard of him before. Doubting Thomas said, unless I see his body for myself, right, unless I can put my hand in his wounds, I'm not going to believe. In fact, when the first disciples hear about Jesus' body missing in the tomb, the stone has been rolled away, and Jesus' body is missing that very first resurrection Sunday, they react more like Jesus' missing body is an unsolved mystery than a great miracle. On the very first Sunday, as we read the gospel accounts, we don't read that the the women, the very very first disciples who went to the the tomb, the, the women, we don't read that they gathered around the tomb and they all started holding hands and counting down backwards, 10, 9, 8, 7. No, no, no. They were going to anoint the body of Jesus. Why? Because they expected Jesus's body to do what dead bodies do, stay dead. (laughs) They were surprised. They were shocked. Nobody was expecting Jesus's body to be resurrected. They thought it was all over. Chuck Colson, who served as special counsel to President Nixon, uh, and who actually went to uh, prison for his participation in the Watergate scandal, he famously said this, cover-ups only work if all participants maintain a unified front of assurance and competence. We see anything but a unified front when we read the Gospels. We see the disciples are scattered and confused and skeptical that Jesus is alive. What changed things? I'll tell you what changed things. The disciples encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ, and that changed everything. Now, in verses 3 and 4, Paul makes it clear. He tells us that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and raised from the dead. Some skeptics will say, well, maybe Jesus appeared to die. Maybe he passed out and he woke up later on. Paul clearly says, no, Jesus died. Many of the early disciples were there at the crucifixion. And newsflash, not many people survived a Roman crucifixion. In fact, nobody survived. There's no historical evidence that anyone ever survived a Roman crucifixion. Even the Journal of the American Medical Association concluded, clearly the weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Not only was he nailed up to a cross, but the soldiers stabbed him in the side with a spear. And even the Journal of the American Medical Association says this is pretty convincing evidence that Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross that day. And then some very early on, in fact, this this rumor was spread by the religious leaders. Some claimed early on that that Jesus' body was stolen that his body was stolen by the the disciples. But to this day, here's the problem with that. 
to this day, nobody's ever produced a body. Nobody's ever been able to explain who rolled away the stone from the tomb and how did they get past the soldiers who, who could be put to death for allowing Jesus' body to be stolen. I'm telling you, I've been to the Holy Land. I've been to the traditional site of his burial. I've been to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And there is nowhere on the tour where they say, let me take you to show you the body of Jesus Christ because it's not in there. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. All the religious leaders had to do to shut this thing down was produce a body, but nobody could produce a body. Jesus died and was resurrected, and the very first Christians believed this from the beginning. Here's the second thing. We're talking about some evidence that we have to consider today because if you're a Christian, you need to know that your, your faith is built on something solid. If you're sorting this out today, you need to really take into account whether or not this resurrection thing happened. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus was affirmed by the testimony of eyewitnesses. The testimony of eyewitnesses. Paul says there were hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Now you say, well, why does, does that matter? Well, ask any lawyer friends that you have how important the testimony of eyewitnesses, the testimony of an eyewitness is in, in a court of law to this day. This is still one of the most important examples of evidence that holds weight in court to this day, the testimony of an eyewitness. And Paul tells us after the resurrection, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. First of all, Jesus appeared to Peter and the original disciples, all of whom would go on to, to die for this claim that Jesus rose from the dead. All of them were martyred and died awful deaths. It'd be one thing if there was something in it for the disciples. It'd be one thing if we read the Gospels and they all got rich and famous and had a great life because of this new religion they started. That didn't happen. Every one of them, they, they died. They went to the grave because they were convinced, because they saw the risen Jesus. They, they touched him. They ate with him. They fellowshiped with him. And they were convinced and they were willing to even go to the grave to die for this belief. Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to more than 500 of his other followers, many who were still alive by the time that he wrote 1 Corinthians 15 and could be interviewed. Like, that's a lot of people who would have to agree to a conspiracy and keep all of the details straight. Paul said, go ahead and interview some of these people. You can ask about them. They're alive. It'd be kind of hard to start a religion in, in Jerusalem, right, the very city where Jesus died. You know, if, if there wasn't an empty tomb and there wasn't some real reliable evidence, how, how would it convince anybody? But in this very city, there were witnesses. There were, there were 500 believers who, who saw Jesus. And then some skeptics would come along and say, well, maybe there was a mass hallucination. Well, guess what psychologists tell us? Psychologists tell us 500 people having the same mass hallucination would be a bigger miracle than someone rising from the dead. <laughs> 500 witnesses. And then last of all, Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, how many of you have siblings? Anybody in here? You have, I have three brothers. If there's anyone who would be more impossible to convince than your own brother that you're the son of God, it would be your siblings, right? In fact, the, the Gospels tell us that James didn't believe. That he didn't believe. What changed things? He met Jesus Christ. He met the, resurrection, the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he recognized that Jesus was his Lord and Savior. And James would go on to give his life for his belief in Jesus Christ. They were eyewitnesses. Then number three, the third piece of evidence is this. The resurrection of Jesus was something Paul personally experienced. Something Paul personally experienced. So Paul... He first describes all these other people who had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And then he gives his own personal experience. Look at this again in verses 8 and 9. He says, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, 
I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Now, what is Paul talking about here? He, he says, I was born at the wrong time. Well, Paul was the only apostle whom Jesus appeared to after his ascension into heaven. He was like the last one, kind of the, the last of the birth order. And Jesus appears to him. And, and then he says, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. You see, before Paul was Paul, he was a religious leader named Saul. He was a Pharisee, and he wasn't a follower of Jesus. In fact, he was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus. He thought that these, these followers of Jesus, this early Christian sect, he thought they were perverting Judaism. And so he was hunting down uh, Jewish believers and throwing them in jail. In fact, one day he was on the road to a city called Damascus when he met the risen Jesus Christ who said, I'm calling you to follow me. And he changed Paul's life. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, I believe in the resurrection because I met Jesus Christ for myself and he changed my life. Come on, church. The greatest evidence that Jesus is alive is personal transformation. It's personal transformation. I'm not standing up here today just because I was raised in church. I'm not standing up here today just because I went to Bible college or I went to seminary. I'm standing here today because Jesus personally changed my life. I've seen him change my life. I've seen him change the lives of countless people. I know who I would be apart from, apart from his grace and his love and his mercy. I've seen the way he's changed people's lives. And you're, you're surrounded by people here today. Come on, who can testify? Jesus changed my life. I've seen him save people. I've seen him heal brokenhearted people. I've seen him set people free. The greatest testimony that Jesus is alive is changed lives, changed lives. Okay, so first Paul tackles the question of whether or not the resurrection actually happened. Then he moves on to this question of, so what? Like, what difference does it make for us today? Well, Paul goes on to say, as we said earlier, without the resurrection, Christianity, it just, it just falls apart. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 14. Paul says this, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Come on, he says that there's no power in the gospel if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Your faith is useless. He says to the Corinthians, why are you undoing the very thing that holds your faith together? There's no resurrectionless Christianity. If you don't believe that God will raise believers to new life in the future one day, then how can you proclaim and profess to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead in the first place? In other words, if the resurrection isn't true, then none of this is worth it. The resurrection isn't true. None of this is worth it. He says this. It's not even enough, enough to believe that Jesus was a great teacher. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even set the bar that low. He says it's not even enough to be convinced that Jesus was a great teacher of truth, that he was a great moral philosopher. Personally, for me, the teachings of Jesus would be convincing enough. I read the words of Jesus, and nobody taught the things he taught. I read about what he did. Nobody did the things that, that he did. Like, I'm convinced by his teaching alone, but Paul doesn't even lower the bar. He says that's not even enough. It's not enough just to follow Jesus because he was a great moral teacher. He says, but if Jesus actually rose from the dead, then giving up our lives to follow him would be worth it. If Jesus rose from 
the dead, then you, you, have to, you have to believe all that he said. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why worry about anything that he said? See, see here's the pivotal thing. The issue is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching. There are plenty of people who will say, well, I admire Jesus. I think Jesus was a great teacher. He taught us how to love each other, you know. I, I think he was a, a, a great, you know, inspirational person, maybe a great prophet, a, a great teacher. But, but the issue is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching. The, the issue, everything hangs on this question, whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, what you believe about that. If there's even a, a shred of convincing evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, you have to take that into account. If somebody who claimed to be the son of God, who said, I'm going to be buried in the grave and I'm going to rise again in three days, if there's even a shred of convincing evidence that that happened, then that would change everything. That would change everything. Paul goes on to remind us of the good news. Here it is, verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. I love the way the message paraphrase puts verse 20. It says this, but the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Come on, Paul says Jesus has, has raised from the dead. He has conquered the grave. You see, we don't just have a sin problem. We have a death problem. How many of you know that's true? Like, like death doesn't sit right with us. The great tragedy of our human experience is that we long for transcendence, yet, yet we know that our lives are finite. We know every one of us has an expiration date. One day we have a date with death, and it doesn't sit right with us. And we live our lives as if they have meaning and purpose, and we want them to count. Why? Because life is precious and death never seems right to us and it shouldn't seem right to us because the creation story tells us we weren't made for death we were made for life but humanity rebelled against God and with that rebellion came the curse of sin and with the curse of sin came the penalty of death but Paul tells us that Jesus's resurrection is a down payment on what's to come for all those who believe and follow him come on Jesus took care of your sin problem on the cross but he takes care of your death problem at the resurrection death doesn't get the final word and so what difference does the resurrection make for you and me today let me leave you with a few thoughts a couple of thoughts Jesus's resurrection means number one death and suffering do not get the final word on death and suffering do not get the final word. I saw a news story in my news feed a couple weeks ago when the war in Ukraine first broke out. And I know many of us have just been brokenhearted of the tragedies that we're hearing and the, the senseless waste of human life in this war. And, and I saw a story about a 28-year-old Ukrainian paratrooper who was killed eight days into the war. And they showed his funeral. He was buried with full military rights. But they focused in on his, and his mom and his sister who were just weeping just uncontrollably, just unconsolable over this tragic loss of this, this young man that they had to say goodbye to. They weren't ready to say goodbye to him, but they had to put him in a grave. And there was this sense as I, as I read this story and I saw these powerful images like evil and brutality and death had the last word. And I know sometimes we feel that way, don't we? As we go through life, 
Like we, we go through things that break our hearts and, and, and we hear stories like this. There's so much pain and, and suffering in, in, in the world and we experience it. And, and from time to time, we have to say goodbye to people that we love, people who we're not ready to say goodbye to. We, 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 we go to their funerals and we see their casket put in, in the ground. I've been there before. I've said goodbye to family members that, that I love. But Easter comes along and Easter means death and suffering do not get the final word. They don't get the last word. Jesus has the last word. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Come on, church. The gospel is about real hope, the real hope of the resurrection, that Jesus can not only save us from our sins, but he can save us from death itself. You and I don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear unknown because we trust in one who's been to the other side and who's come back victorious. Death and suffering don't get the final word in this world. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is a down payment on the reality that is to come. Fast forward to the end of the Bible. You get to Revelation, the final book. And the apostle John tells us this. Here's what it says. When Jesus comes back one day, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more suffering. There's not going to be any more mourning or pain. Because Jesus says, those are the old things. Behold, I make all things new. And here's the second thing. What does the resurrection mean for you and me on this Easter 2020? Here's what it means. You can experience the presence of a real God. You can experience the presence of a real and living God. Christians don't just hold to a set of beliefs. We don't just hold to a set of doctrines and moral teachings. Yes, those things are important, but we believe Today, we believe that you can experience the presence of a living, real, and loving God. We believe you can experience salvation. You can experience healing. You can experience freedom. You can experience strength. You can experience love and joy and peace. You can experience the grace and the presence of a living God. And today, you're surrounded by people who have had that experience Today, whether it's your first time here, whether it's your first time back in church or, a long, or, or in a long time, or maybe it's your first time ever in a, in a Bible teaching church like this, or somebody said, hey, you have to check out this broadcast on, online, I want you to know that you are surrounded by people today who have encountered Jesus Christ. And I can't explain every question that you have. I can't explain away every difficult thing that you've been through, every why God question that you have. But here's what I can tell you, the greatest evidence that Jesus is alive is changed lives. Changed lives. And you're surrounded by people whose lives have been impacted by a real, living, loving Savior. And so don't just take my word for it. Check out this video. God has saved me from following patterns of broken homes and brought me closer to my family. I am the evidence. So God delivered me from depression and chronic panic attacks where I actually was debilitated by it and I was faking it till I made it. Now I'm actually able to walk around with peace in my heart and share what I've been through and the evidence. After the loss of our child, God was there for us in every moment. I am the evidence. Grace replaced my striving with abiding. I am a child of God, fully known and loved. I am the evidence. God has redeemed me from a place of being restless, irritable, and discontent to a place of happiness, joyousness, and freedom. I am the evidence. After a divorce, the Lord healed my heart, restored my life, gave me a purpose. 
He gave me beauty for ashes. I'm the evidence. When I had no hope and thought I had no purpose to live anymore, he stepped in, he shone his light, and he gave me purpose. I am the evidence. God showed himself to me when I wanted to know him for myself. I am the evidence. Losing my mother as a teenager and a failed marriage had me feeling broken, lost, and afraid. And then came Jesus who filled me with joy. I am the evidence. I was overtaken by anxiety. I remember writing in my journal every night, will I ever stop crying? Jesus met me in my brokenness and showed me that anxiety and divorce don't have to have the final say. I'm the evidence. As I coped with depression and anxiety, my wounds began to heal, and God's spirit in me triumphed over my past. I am no longer in chains by the troubles of this life. I am the evidence. Jesus made me feel loved and accepted when I felt rejected and abandoned. I am the evidence. Come on, somebody. <laughs> to tell you, one of the greatest one of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor is having a front row to see what you just saw on the screen, to see people's lives get changed. Because, you know, I'm a lot like you. I have questions some days. You know, I've wrestled with the big questions of theology, and I have days where I have some doubts. But can I tell you what convinces me, not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, what convinces me that Jesus is alive is I see him changing people's lives. I see him setting people free. I see him saving people from their past, from their sin, from their shame. I see him restoring lives and making people whole. And there are some of you in this room today who you've been going through life with this sense of, I need something more. I can't do this by myself. Like you might even be considered a success by people who see you on the outside, but you know deep down on the inside, there's this sense like, I, I can't do this by myself anymore. Today, we gather to proclaim on this Easter Sunday, 2022, there is something more in his name is Jesus. Come on, there's something more. There's a living Savior who can fill your life with his presence. He can breathe new life into you. He can give you peace and purpose. He can give you what you've been searching for. There's a real and living God. Come on, Christianity is not about bad people turned good. It's about dead people made alive. It's about people who have experienced the presence and the power and the spirit of a living God who has breathed new life into them. So you don't just have to go through life, go through the motions. You can have the resurrection life of Jesus Christ going through you. We really believe that today. We proclaim that to you today. I can tell you with my own life, I'm the evidence, man. I'm the evidence. I've seen how Jesus has changed me, is changing me, will continue to change me by his grace. This is the truth that changed the very first disciples. This is the truth. They were scattered. They were defeated. They were skeptical. They were broken. They thought everything they had given their lives to was, was over. They weren't full of faith. The last thing they expected was to encounter a resurrected Jesus Christ. They thought everything was over. But, but on that resurrection Sunday, they saw Jesus. They touched Jesus. He spoke to them. They encountered him. And there was this sense, like, if God can do that, God can do that. Come on, I don't know your story today. I don't know what you're walking through. Maybe today you would say, Pastor Jeremy, I've kind of been going through life 
kind of feeling like I'm drifting without purpose and without meaning and maybe you thought you'd be further along in life by now that your life would feel more fulfilling by now. Maybe you're struggling with some brokenness in your life, maybe a broken marriage, maybe an addiction, some self-destructive habit that you just can't seem to kick on your own. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe you used to feel so close to God, but it's been years, somewhere along the way, you, you, you lost your faith and there seems to be this distance between you and God. But then we get to Easter Sunday and we look inside of an empty tomb and we see that Jesus even conquered death and there's this sense, God, if you can do that, there's nothing you can't do in my life. God, I can trust you, I can believe you. God can resurrect your hopes. He can resurrect your dreams. He can resurrect your purpose. He can give your life new meaning. That's what this day is about. Christianity is not just about the hope of going to heaven one day. It's about a quality of life that you can experience here and now, the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. He said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, dead in his sins, Yet shall he live. So today, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, that that changes everything. If there's even a remote chance that this is true, that, that would change everything. And we believe that Jesus is inviting you today, just like he invited those very first disciples to, to see him and experience him. We believe he's inviting you today to place your faith in him. Maybe today you're here and you're a believer. You'd say, Pastor Jeremy, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've placed my faith in him. But if you're honest, you've been kind of going through life and it's been a powerless Christianity. You know, it's kind of like from one failure to the next failure and it just feels like sin has had power over you. Or maybe one of those things that I described, some area of brokenness has had power over your life. Or maybe it's just easy to slip into the routine of religion and we hear about the resurrection and we sing about it and it's just a nice story. But today, the Holy Spirit is waking you up and saying, no, 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 you serve a risen Savior who is alive, who can meet you today. And you need to experience his resurrection power in your life today, power over sin power over anything that would come against you, power over darkness, power over mindsets, power over the lies of the enemy in your life today. You can experience that. And then some of you are here today, and you say, Pastor Jeremy, if I'm honest, I've really never wrestled with this idea of whether or not the the resurrection of Jesus is historically true. I mean, I've heard about that, and I know that's what Christians believe, but Today, I'm having to deal with this idea that maybe this is more than a symbol, but if, if Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the Son of God, died and was resurrected, then, then that would change everything. That would change everything. That would impact my life. I, I would need to do something about that. And we would say to you, yes, he, he's speaking to you today. He's calling you today. And today, you have to make a decision about who he is. And so I want to pray with you this morning. Would you stand with me? Come on, stand with me this morning. Why don't you just bow your head? all over this place today. Just bow your head if you're new to our church. This is just a moment of reflection. This is just a moment between us and God to bow our heads and our hearts and have a moment to reflect on what we've heard today. Nobody looking around, just you and God and his spirit today in this place, his presence, his loving presence today. Come on, I want to pray for you today. Whatever category you're in, I want to pray for you today. I want to declare 
resurrection life over you, the life of Jesus Christ, life and life more abundantly. I want to break off every lie of the enemy. I want to break the power of sin over your life today as we profess that our hope is in a risen Savior, that the power of sin, death, hell, and the grave is broken. Come on, Jesus, today we celebrate your victory on the cross. We celebrate your victory on the, over the grave. We thank you, Lord, today that death, sin, hell, and the grave are defeated. We declare today that the enemy has no power over our lives. Sin, you have no power over our lives. Darkness, you have no power over our lives. Lord, today, by your Spirit, fill us with the very Spirit of Jesus Christ who raised, who was raised from the dead. Lord, today we receive your resurrection power. Lord, today I believe you're bringing dead things back to life. You're restoring hopes. You're restoring dreams. Lord, you're, you're restoring our belief that we can be the person you called us to be. I declare your resurrection life over your people today. May we never be the same in Jesus' name. And as we're praying this morning, I want to pray for those of you today who you would say, Pastor Jeremy, that's me. Like I'm wrestling with this idea that Jesus was the Son of God, that he actually rose again, that he actually came out of a grave, that there were all of these witnesses and people who gave their lives for what they professed to, to believe. And, and I'm, I'm at the point where I, I have to make a decision. And if that's you, we want to invite you. We believe God is drawing you to himself. And it starts with a belief. It starts with a choice to follow Jesus, a decision that will affect every other decision for the rest of your life, the most important decision you could ever make. And that is to say yes to Jesus. And so if that's you today, come on, every head bowed in this place. I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little bit different. We don't usually do this, but I just want to know who I'm praying for. And if that's you today, you'd say, Pastor Jeremy, that's me. I'm the person who needs to believe. I'm the person who needs to make a choice. If that's you on the count of three, just slip your hand up today. One, two, three. Pastor Jeremy, that's me. You're praying for me. Thank you. Hands going up all over this place. Pastor Jeremy, that's me. I need to believe. I need to step over the line of faith today and place my trust in Jesus. He wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a miracle worker, but I believe he was the son of God. Come on, if that's you, I want to pray for you today. Just repeat this prayer with me under your breath, right where you are. Jesus, I give you my yes today. I say yes to you. I place my faith in you today. Pray this with me. I believe you are who you said you are, the Son of God, that you live for me, that you died for me on the cross, you died for my sins, and that you were resurrected to give me new life turn from my sins today and I place my faith in you. I believe you are alive. Father, I bless every person who prayed that prayer today. I thank you for new life in Jesus Christ. Sons and daughters born again. Never the same. New life in Jesus Christ. Come on. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.